Hello and welcome to another fantastic edition of Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged. And this week I'm joined by the inspirational Lauren Stedman, who is a paratriathlete with an Olympic silver medal under her belt. She's also a three times world champion uh, and also world champion swimmer as well. Four times 100 meter freestyle in 2009. Add to the mix, she's been on Strictly Come Dancing and got to the semi-final. She's a psychology graduate as well, which is a real bonus when your sport requires incredible mental and physical strength and she hails from Peterborough so I'll be asking you all about that in the Peterborough quiz which took me two hours to do the research for four solitary questions plus she has some cracking advice for all those young people out there so gather them around the wireless pop on your tank tops and your slippers relax enjoy the pod hello and welcome are you ready because it's that time again Lauren Stedman is an inspirational woman with a can-do attitude that simply must be admired. As a swimmer, she won the IPC European Championships four times 100 meter freestyle before switching to paratriathlon to fully unleash her sporting potential. A silver medalist at the Rio Olympics, Lauren went on into 2020 as a hot favourite for gold in Tokyo. But when the pandemic put pay to those plans, how did she react? And how does she feel about the Games now? How well does she know her hometown of Peterborough? And how will she react to the unpredictable RQG, the random question generator? So many questions and all the answers are packed into the next hour of scintillating chat. Insert yourself into the pod. Well, Lauren Stedman, thank you very much indeed for coming on to Matt Stevens Unplugged. How the how the devil are you? I'm really good, thank you, and I, I feel very honoured to be uh, to be part of the Unplugged episode. So um, yeah, I'm very excited and excited for all the questions and, and what we can unravel. Yes, I've I've done qu- well quite a lot of research, especially on Peterborough. Um, the, the town that you, I believe you you grew up in. So that's for a little bit later. But uh, but no, it's very, very kind of you to come on the pod. Really looking forward to our, our chat. But before we kind of kick things off properly, what I'd like you to do and what I ask for all of my podcast guests is to tell us where in the world you are and then if you could just describe the room that you're in. So just so it it's kind of sets the scene for everybody who's listening. Okay, I am currently in Portsmouth in the UK, so down south on the south coast, and it is sunshine at the moment with a bit of clouds. This now sounds like a weather report, um, but I'm actually in a, a room that's got loads of packed up boxes because I'm moving house. So uh, a white room, it's got loads of boxes, it's got a couple of bikes in, um, yeah, just getting ready to move, and loads of shoes, actually. I've Lots got of far shoes. too many shoes, yes. Are they... Are they- Dancing shoes, going out shoes, cycling shoes, or running shoes, or just everything, they, or just or- <laughs> yes, I'm I'm a big girl, and it's a massive mixture. So I've got some heels, some boots, loads of Adidas trainers, uh, my cycling boots, and some Wellingtons, <laughs> and some Wellingtons as well. Yes. Because uh, do am I right? Do you have a, do you have a dog? I've, I seem to have um, a whole herd. Did you say herd of dogs? <laughs> no, I said I sorry. Think- <laughs> I said, if, do, do you have a dog? Yes, no. Um, so I have I have a dog who lives with my parents in Peterborough. Her name is okay. Merrick Bell. She's a huge German Shepherd. And then I also have my boyfriend's dog. Uh, he's a black lab. And we've just adopted another dog from Portugal. So she's here now as well. Her name's Kira. 
Wow. So it, you uh, actually, that's quite interesting because fr- friends of mine a while ago adopted a dog from Egypt, uh, an Alsatian from Egypt. So how did it? I know we've gone off on a bit of a tangent already, but please bear with me. This was what happens on this pod. I just love the way that stuff goes off on tangents. That's how fine. did you? How did you come to adopt this this dog then? So my boyfriend is actually Portuguese, and he's over here with me. But his mum just happened to visit the vets in Portugal, and this beautiful um, yes shepherd, I guess, was there at the vets, and she was looking for a new home. And uh, his mum sent pictures through to to us, and I sort of batted my eye eyelashes and was like please can we get her uh so then she ended up here so yeah we, we brought her over lovely that, that is a lovely story and i'm sure she'll settle very very well indeed i mean so but you're moving so where are you off are you off are you moving far or are you staying local staying local but i am officially now an adult and i have bought a house Wow, that is properly i mean that you will get a certificate that will pop through once you, you settle into it there you go round of applause uh, live studio audience is is just yeah i mean that is a bit that's a big step it's a cool step but it's it's a bit there's, there's a lot to do isn't there but it'd be worth it when you're settled definitely i mean there's insurances left right and center i've realized that you have to take out um and and yeah just like i said packing up all the boxes and we're not actually moving that far but i think i'm very excited just to sort of have my own front door to go home unwind and be able to call somewhere home i've, I've been in rented for so long that I think it's going to be special. Even if I just want to wallpaper a certain wall, I know that I can because it's my wall. Yeah, that, that, there's there's something to say um, for owning your own property without sure. So congratulations there. So just echoing the sentiment of our live studio audience there. So, so well done. But uh, I think it's worth Thank mentioning you. at the top. No, no worries at all. No worries at all. Um, I think it's worth mentioning. On, we've never actually met IRL in real life as people use, you know, people do use this phrase, especially over the last kind of, well, very difficult 12 months that we've all faced. But we kind of met, didn't we, doing the uh, the World Canter Day Solidarity Challenge. That's when I first – I obviously knew of you, but the first time we kind of briefly interacted was on that, um, where you and some other celebrities were chasing some Mo Farah down the Champs-Élysées on Zwift. Quite an unusual concept, wasn't it? <laughs> Definitely. And, I, I mean, I can now say that I've actually raced some Mo Farah and, well, it was some fantastic like, – I, I, my – I think my main goal of that day was also to catch uh, Paula Radcliffe. Um, she was another yes. female athlete in there. And no, it was it was amazing. And I've spent the last year because of lockdown on Zwift. So to actually get to do something whereby you've got some other, I guess, athletes, celebrities joining in and you're raising money for a fantastic cause. Um, it, it was competitive as well, which made it really lovely. Uh, but it was definitely very, very painful. That's all that I can really remember uh, from that little race. It was, yeah, it was hard work. You were... It, it, it did look it. I mean, I was obviously just comfortably in a, in a in a commentary booth, so I was quite relaxed. But um, looking at your face, I mean, you were flying. You, I think you did. You end up third or fourth in the end. In ter- yeah. in ter- not that it was really. I mean, you were right up there, weren't you? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm used to it, so I know how this works. So I sort of sat there and I just tried to hold the the biggest amount of watts per kg that I could. Um, and then towards the end, and at one point, I didn't know where the finish line was. So I'm, I'm sort of shouting at the computer like, have I finished? Have I finished? Can someone tell me? <laughs> I was in so much pain. <laughs> but yeah, it was fantastic. Um, and I watched it back and I just thought that it made, I don't know, for really good uh, TV and, and to watch and for just people even at home to, to get on board and, and get excited and hopefully motivate other people to do some stuff. Because yeah, it was it was really good fun. Yeah. And, and as you say, I, th- I think... Um, Getting, I mean, the way that I think 
things like that connect people as well, especially in the absence of a lot of live sport. Um, it, it really was something quite special. And of course, the, the cause itself, raising money for, for World Cancer Day, was, was pretty amazing as well. But uh, I mean, it's been, it's been a difficult year. And of course, you were aiming for the, the Olympics, you know, uh, and, and that obviously fell by the wayside. I mean, I know it seems like a really kind of obvious kind of question, but that must have been, I mean, was it something... I mean, a lot of athletes aiming towards Olympics kind of knew in advance that it wasn't something that was suddenly taken away from you. Was it, it was something that we kind of accepted was going to happen? But how did you manage to kind of refocus? Because um, that is such such a big a big thing for you, isn't it? Yeah, and I I think if I'm really really honest with you right now, it actually hit me differently to other athletes. So the moment that I found out didn't really change my year or how I trained or my perception of anything. I actually maintained full Paralympic training all the way through the summer. Um, yeah. I don't know why. I, I moved up to my parents because they live in the country and it was easier for me to uh, to train. I was running around a local airfield, uh, cycling, obviously on, on my bike. There's a fantastic um, you know, strip of road there to train. I was doing it with my dad. My mum was running with me. And I actually didn't lose sight of the goal. Uh, I also managed to race in Portugal at the end of the season. Uh, it was, I think, late September. So I sort of got to see how the year had panned out for me. found yeah. it difficult, perhaps, because you were training without a goal. But it's actually been harder for me this year. January was probably my hardest month because nice. I, I think it, it might have hit me then, which is really odd. Everybody else suffered last year and, and you know, that they, they took a break or they re-changed how they're doing things. I managed to stay on point, which, you know, I'm really proud of myself for. And I just, you know, got stuck in and realized that actually I will race one day and I need to continue to keep training um, and keep the motivation high because it's another year to get stronger. So you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a positive thing. But January this year, obviously, the numbers were still high and, you know, training, I'm supposed to be in Lanzarote with my coach and you know, early season races have been cancelled. It started to wear at me a bit in January because yeah. I realised that potentially they could cancel the games this year as well. And it's like that's two years where you've people don't realise when it comes to an Olympic or Paralympic year, uh, it, there's a heightened awareness and training changes. It becomes very specific, very honed into you know specific skills and drills, and yeah. to maintain yourself in a in an Olympic or Paralympic cycle and and all the emotions and the physical feelings that come with that is very difficult so you're looking at going into a second year of that now so it's very difficult to handle uh, but I have progressed and my numbers and statistics show that I'm stronger than where I was last year so that's a positive thing um, and it's been a lot about actually listening to myself so me and my coach have had lots of talks and he's like actually how, how's your mindset today it's not just about the physical stuff this year. It's about how you're doing with the fact that, you know, I didn't swim for five months. I've only recently got back in the last six weeks because I didn't have access to a pool. So, you know, it's, right, it's, managing okay. all the, it's managing all those things. And in my head, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've had, you know, five to six months out of swimming. You know, and it's just a doubt that creeps in there. But, you know, we've got a plan. Uh, we're pretty sure about it. We're solid. Um, and it's just about, yeah, open communication with friends, family, coaches, uh, just to maintain the the momentum and and not sort of get sidetracked. Yeah, I mean, I mean, can I ask I mean, to put this in a little bit of context? You're, you're a para athlete. You first you start. You've done already done two Olympic games swimming. You're now you've already done 
you already went to Rio as a para as a para triathlete in PT4. Can you just explain the class that you for anybody who's kind of new to this? Can you just explain yeah. the class that you compete within, just to set this in a little bit of context for our listeners? Yeah, of course. So I, as you said, did Beijing and London in swimming, and in swimming they have fourteen categories. S fourteen is learning difficulties. Eleven and twelve is for blind athletes and then the other spectrum from one to ten is physical and I raced as a nine so I was classed as I guess the least affected physically with a disability sure in the world of paratriathlon we're not as established as I guess what swimming has swimming's been around for many many years and in Rio it made its debut so we only have six categories available which hopefully one day when we have a you know keep going and get loads of paratriathletes on board you'll see that actually we we're able to have more categories and then it becomes more specific in each categories as to you know the disabilities that that race against each other but yeah. within the world of paratriathlon you have six categories um the sixth category so if you're a ptsvi they're called not six but it's easier to think of it that way that's okay to be a blind athlete um Category one, you could say, or as we call it, PTWC, is the wheelchair category. Then okay. you have two, three, four, and five. And as I mentioned earlier, it's like a spectrum. So I race as a five because I'm classed as least disabled. But I guess the severity of your disability would place you lower down on the scale. Um, okay. You know when you get um, classified. So it's a it's a good system, and many people might look at in my category when I race. So one of the girls that. Um, fantastic athlete and and she challenges me is grace norman from the usa and she's missing her i believe it's her right foot it could be her left but she's missing her foot and i think lots of people sometimes look at our race and go well she's missing a hand but that one's missing a foot like how does that work but the classification is done on quite a lot of tests on strength flexibility mobility they watch you race and it's very even it's you know it's put so it's an even playing field when we do get out to race sure so you, it's, it's a pretty from from what you're saying. It's quite a fair. You're, it's it's not it's it's exceptionally thorough. In fact, isn't it? So you think it's it's a pretty fair system that they got in place. Yeah, and I you know I believe that it's the best it can be for what it is at this sure. moment in time. There are lots of university studies going forward because you want it to be a a fair playing field. You want it to be you know you're going after gold medals here. It's not just a something small at stake. So. I'm happy when I get on the start line that actually it's, you know, it's evenly and it's fairly uh, been classified. There are, we all have our own strengths and weaknesses within, obviously, like within the swim, swimming with two hands, Grace will have an advantage. Uh, I just have to work the hardest I can. When it comes to the bike, I'll have an advantage. And then when it gets onto the run, it's kind of like a, you know, who's got the best run. So, you know, it's in different ways you can look at it. Obviously, there's different limbs being put on as well. So everyone's disability is so individual. But sure. I believe that, you know, triathlon and world triathlon have done the best they can in order to make sure that it is an even playing field. I mean, I, I'm intrigued as to why. Um, I mean, you do see within within many sports, and especially people coming across from, uh, from rowing into cycling, even swimming into cycling, um, what why you made the transition from from swimming into triathlon was it because it was a new sport that you thought you want to go at um how did you kind of make that kind of switch from solely just swimming into into para tri so i was after london 2012 Uh, i I was i loved my swimming career and i was a very good swimmer yeah but i really had a tough time in swimming Uh, i just seemed to be able to train as hard as i could give everything that was needed 
and then it never came out on a race day. And soul destroying as an athlete when, you know, I used to train with the world champ and I'd be smashing it to pieces in training. We get to a race and then I get smashed to pieces and something wasn't quite clicking for me in the world of swimming. I I went to boarding school at one point. So every time I returned home, I'd always do some cycling and running anyway as a a way of cross training uh, just to keep fitness up. Yeah, Been an all round sports person my whole life. Sport probably as a youngster was the one way that I could show the other kids at, at school, you know, I'm, I'm here, I want to play, I'm good at sports. So, yeah. you know, I was quite good across lots of different sports. So I think when it sort of got to London and I performed really well, I, you know, I come fifth in the world in, in 400 freestyle, made the final in my hundred meters freestyle. I was, I was very proud of myself and I, and I got a time that I've been trying to get for ages, but I also had dabbled a little bit in triathlon and what happened was straight after London Games, British Triathlon uh, telephoned me and said, Lauren, we know that you've got no experience, but would you like to come to New Zealand in six weeks and race the okay. World Championships for us? Wow. <laughs> I just finished just finished London. And you know when you're on a high after the Games? And yeah. my, un- my uncle actually lives out there. So I was like, do you know what? I'll go see my uncle. And I, I, I got this road bike that you could pick up with your finger and... I was, you know, I had to learn to ride a bike. I had to really learn to run because for six a- weeks isn't a, six weeks isn't a lot to kind of just dial those two other disciplines, is it? No, it, not really. And as a swimmer, swimmers don't run very well. I, <laughs> I'm, I don't know. I was a fish out of water, definitely. Um, and I think that you know, shin splints and and this fast bike that had tiny wheels. I've ridden mountain bikes, but you know, not a road bike. And I actually did the race, and I I came fifth, but I'd had unfortunately got food poisoning the night before, and. I just said to myself the next day, I just come fifth in the world with food poisoning, six weeks of training. Yeah, I I think I I might have something here. You know, I I might be good at all these sports. So it was a case of accepting that actually I was a really good swimmer, but I might just be a better triathlete. Right. And, um, and, And the rest is kind of history, isn't it? You know, and then you went on to... To get the silver medal, although you had a, you had it at the Paralympic Games in Rio, um, and that was a bit of a difficult one for you, wasn't it? It didn't all go quite right there, did it? Definitely not. Twenty sixteen was a very difficult year for me. I crashed out at Worlds, which you know wrote off my bike, and that was only six weeks before the Paralympics. And I tried to put it behind me, and I think I did a pretty good job of it, and didn't sustain too bad injuries. And then it got to the games, and. I made the conscious decision not to do the swim recce purely based on, you know, the reports of the water quality. Uh, okay. So obviously, was at the swim rec- was at the um, race briefing, and I knew the way to go. Would watch the men's race, and then I got to um, got to my race, and you know, favourite to win. You know, Lauren should take home the gold, and I managed to swim the wrong way. I missed one of the boys. Um, oh, no. I should have gone round it a certain way, and I'd done twenty five meters in the wrong direction when the canoes corrected me, but. I can remember looking across and actually seeing Grace on the correct route at equal with me. So, right. you know, I'd lost 50 meters and by the end of the swim, I managed to get back to second place. But, uh, you know, you're looking at 38 degrees in a wetsuit. I got onto the bike and, you know, I gave it my all, but I, I couldn't pull away. And then in the run, I, I was just, I just overheated. And yeah, so it was a really tough day for me crossing that line. Um, yeah. And I, I did withdraw for a few months afterwards, um, sort of hung up the running shoes for a bit because I was just I think I was very angry with everything but um I made it through and I I think I've come back stronger and I've never ever missed a swim recce and I've never ever swung the wrong way since well the, the thing is you learn from it I think every single thing you do as an athlete or out, outside of sport you know there are, are occasions where 
you just learn and um you know there, there's Definitely. luck as well but every you you take you, you take strength i think um from every single experience whether it's good whether it's bad even whether it's indifferent and i think and and what interests me as well i mean you clearly enjoy pushing yourself to your limits testing yourself and 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 arguably you know the triathlon does that the most doesn't it, it you know it tests every single facet phys- physiologically psychologically because of the dedication you need but i know that you've got a degree in psychology so as well which 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 really does intrigue me so are you i know are you quite critical of yourself do you often psychoanalyze yourself or do you how do you kind of use that 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 kind of cerebral skill how does that sort of how do you use that in terms of your own personal life um on the bike in the pool and when you're running i actually think looking back as obviously having studied psychology and then looking back as I guess you could look at it as being from a sports site point of view and then as an athlete and then as a girl they all have their own psychs so I think I'm actually still developing as an athlete and I've had probably the last two years have been actually the steepest learning curve about who I am as an athlete and how I approach situations that one in Rio taught me big lesson but I actually came out exceptionally proud, right. which a lot of people probably, if they'd done that in a race, it would have been a very negative situation for them. But I managed to find the positives. And it's something that obviously you read about and you learn about. Having studied psychology, it's very difficult to go and listen to a lot of the ways in which you can do things, the methodologies, the chimp paradox, all those sort of things. Um, I like to keep it yeah. exceptionally simple and I work on quite a lot of terminology and one one of them is control the controllables and it is the simplest thing and people sometimes go, yeah, yeah, I know that one, I know that one. But it's learning what you actually can and can't control and I think that's yeah. a massive, massive learning curve and I think that what happened in Rio, I actually didn't panic, which I'm so surprised at because I think most athletes in that situation would have given up and yeah. I actually just went okay that's happened move on let's keep going and I don't know where it came from I actually have no idea it came from there was no panic uh, which I think actually if you'd have asked me how I would respond to that situation it would have been I would panic and then doubt myself but I got back to where I needed to and the biggest other lesson that I learned was at Gold Coast where I recent well two years ago now 2018 took the world title back Mm. I I race scared that was the probably the last time I, that I did race scared because my coach wow. soon got that out of me. And I think people obviously think that the elites are up there and that we have it sorted and that we know how we're racing. But I was racing scared and shouting stuff out to my coach. So my coach, Robin Brew, the next race, he said, you dare say anything to me in the race. You will be silent. And I was like, <laughs> right, right. Said, you will be silent. And I learned to control my inner demons so if, if I'm really honest on your, on your question of, you know, psychology and do I use it on myself? Yes and no. Um, it's very, I'm the sort of person that can help others, but not help myself. Uh, yeah. But actually I've been an elite athlete for 16 years now and I'm still learning things as I'm going along. What works for me? What doesn't work for me? There's so many things to do, it's, but it's got to be what works for you and not what is in a textbook or what a book says about how your yeah. mindset should be. Um, so yeah, I'm feeling in a really good place. And I think that, yeah, things are, are coming together psychologically and physically so hopefully this this is going to be the games yeah i mean and like you, you know like i say you're, you're 
you're 28 years of age, you know, you've mm-hmm. still got years quite, I mean, especially when you look at an in, endurance-based sport, you, we know it's in, you, that you can still get better and better well into your thirties. Um, and, but with that comes all of those opportunities to learn as well. So it's quite an exciting time. It's uh, people, people often, um, quite depends on the sport, but we saw it's in the late, he or she's in a, a late kind of twenties, you know, way past her best in the sport that you've chosen. I don't, I don't certainly think that's the case. And I think it's, you're entering into quite an exciting time of your life, especially, you know, with, um, and you've got a, a big opportunity to kind of set the record straight in, in your own mind as well after the disappointment of the, of, of the Olympics. I mean, but just off the back of that, I mean, in your career so far, what do you think, I mean, you're, um, this is a, the hot topic, not the, not the hot topic, but something that's talked about a lot at the moment is is women in sport having to overcome odds that shouldn't be there in the first place. And of course, you were born without um, you know your lower right arm. You've had a lot of things to overcome in your life, but you've you've you're remarkably successful. But what for you, when you look back at your career and your life so far, has been the hardest thing to overcome or the biggest challenge to to, to overcome? Well, it's a very good question. Um, I think I've, I was very lucky in that my parents have shaped me and made me the girl that I am today. My mum from a very young age said that, you know, it would have been very easy and it is very easy as a, as a parent of a kid that doesn't have a disability to want to do everything for your child anyway. You love them so much. But she said, I knew with you that if I, if I did everything for you and you struggled, you would get used to someone helping you and you wouldn't find a way to do it. So she said, sometimes people probably thought I was cruel, but I would leave you to do it until you exhausted every single option. And then I would come and I would show you how to do it. Yet I still yeah. wouldn't do it for you. Sure. And I think that installed in me, probably people might say, oh, she's really stubborn, but I don't think it's stubbornness. I think it's uh, determination because everything that, you know, is, I'm, is put in front of me, I have to, to succeed in it I have to do well or I have to know that I've at least given the best effort that I can and then I can't ask any more of myself and that goes across all the university degrees that I've done sport and the hardest thing probably to overcome has been different in different stages like as a youngster truthfully I really struggled having one arm being different to other people you know someone said you know like in iRobot here's here's an arm I would have taken it and it took me until I was 14 years old to actually self-accept that I had one arm. And if you said to me now, Lauren, you know, here's here's a hand, I'd be like, I really don't want that. Like it's two hands is overrated and I wouldn't be the girl that I am and wouldn't have had all the opportunities and experiences. But it it took me a long time to get to that. So I think a little bit was self-acceptance of having a disability. I was never in situations where, you know, I I was badly bullied or anything like that. It was just a case of, as you're growing up and changing your teenagers are tough like you want to fit in you want to be the cool kid you want to do stuff so yeah that was a pretty tough time and probably off in a, in a sporting sense what's been toughest since then probably the four years that I had between Beijing and London in that I was trying to break one minute six seconds for the 100 meters freestyle okay and every single race and I mean every single race it was 106, whether it was 106.2, 106.4, you know, <laughs> nice. you name it, 106.01. Yeah. And it got to the point where I'd exhausted all training methods, um, how to sort of, you know, just, I was doing everything I could to the point where my mum and dad said, listen, 
we're proud of you. We don't mind if, if you want to, you know, hang up your cosy and, and your goggles. Um, we're behind you for that. But I couldn't do it. And when I was at London in the in the race, I managed to go 105.98. And that's why I said to you, it was such a sweet moment yeah. to be able to get the time that I wanted for four years. But that was a really tough time because I think everybody had started to question whether I could do it. And when other people start to question whether you can do something, you start to question it yourself. Yeah. Uh, but I stayed true to myself and just kept putting in the work and putting in the work. And the harder you work, you know, the more likely you are uh, to be successful. And I did get there in the end. I mean, just off... I mean, that's really, really interesting. And, and I know that a lot of, I mean, you, you, you had this disability, for, for want of a better word, apologies if, if you, you know, um, you were born without your, your right arm. And as a child, it must have felt like unfair. Because as a kid, you, you're very egocentrical, aren't you? And you, you'll know that from studying psychology. Yeah. Your, your, your life as a child although you've got a sense of self quite clearly from the age of kind of two or something like that, you're very selfish, aren't you? And, and when you see kids with, with two hands, two arms, it must, have been, it must have been a very, very difficult time, but you've overcome that. You, you're remarkably successful, not just through, you know, in your personal life and in sport and in academia, but also you know, you've, you've been on SAS Who Dares Wins, which we'll talk about in a little <laughs> bit, you, you know, um, as, as well as Strictly Come Dancing. Again, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. So you've, <laughs> you've lived already an exceptionally full and, and fruitful life. So given all that experience and you're still a rel- you're still un- under 30 years of age, you've experienced so much, achieved so much, and through all the difficulty that you've kind of been through as well, what advice would you give to a youngster growing up with a disability who wants to get involved in sport or, or anything, what what little piece of advice would you give to that young person? You know, you could say what advice would you give to that young person with a disability, but also just young advice to young advice with it, just to give advice to anybody of a young age. Yeah. Because it's actually difficult whether or not you've got a disability or not. And I think actually when I go in and I talk to young kids. I actually say to them, you know, I struggled when I was younger. I had ginger hair. I did enjoy my food. I was slightly chubby and I had one arm. I was very geeky. My uniform was always on point. And, you know, I thought that actually, you know, I wasn't a cool kid. I wasn't that. And I wanted to be the same as everyone, do what everyone else was doing. When you're young, that's what you want. But there's a point in time where you're growing up, you sort of at university. And then when you obviously, you know, you go and get a job you don't want to be the same as everyone else. There's a point in time where it flips and you want to be different, something that makes you stand out, something that makes you different from everyone else. So I say to them, if you have something now that makes you different, you should hold on to that because at some point you're going to really want to be different than everybody else. And they sort of all look at me. And sometimes I say to them, right, let's, let's put our hands up. Who's got something yeah. that makes them different? And they say it. And it's lovely to hear them say, oh, well, yeah. I can do this or I can do that. And I'm like, and you know what? You keep that special trick because you're going to need it when you're older. And it, I think it's just changing perceptions for youngsters yeah. that actually yeah. being different is a gift. You know, you don't want to be the same as everyone else because it would be boring. Yeah. No, that, that's a, that is a really, I've never really thought about it, about things like that. It's a lovely, it's quite a refreshing way to look at things and, um, that actually leads us quite nicely on to um, to the next part of of of, of 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 the podcast. It's the Peterborough Quiz because you are a product, um, not just of your <laughs> of your parents' loins, but of Peterborough. So it's time, Niall, cue up the jingle for the Peterborough Quiz. The Peterborough Quiz. 
Again, Niall is flexing his his jingle muscles there. Another wonderful jingle. Um, first up, before I actually go into the quiz, Lauren, marks out a 10 for the jingle. Um, should I be honest or kind? Uh, be both. Be kind and then be <laughs> honest. <laughs> if I'm being kind, that was definitely an 8 out of 10 now. But if I'm being a critic, it was uh, probably a 3 or a 4. Oh, wow. Oh, no. Blimey. There we go. Well, let's hope that you do better than than the marks that you've given, Niall, for the Peterborough quiz jingle. I doubt it. Right. Okay. Well, I've got four questions for you. And um, you'll be no doubt grateful that they're multiple choice. Okay, so I'm not here to catch you out at all, but they are rather broad, um, but primarily, well, you know, they are centered around uh, your hometown up until the age of 14. Also, you told okay. me on the email the other week. Right. So question number one, are you ready? You're comfortable? I'm comfortable. Good stuff. Okay. Okay, Lauren, two James Bond films have had scenes filmed in and around Peterborough. But which are they? And you can choose two from this list of five. Okay? Okay. A, Goldfinger. B, Octopussy. C, Live and Let Die. D, Goldeneye. Or E, Skyfall. Okay, so two James Bond films have been filmed or scenes filmed, key scenes filmed in Peterborough. Which ones are they? Would you like them again? Um... Yeah. <laughs> okay. Go- Goldfinger. Yep. Octopussy. Yep. Live and Let Die. Golden Eye or Skyfall. Okay, I'm going to go for Live and Let Die and Octopussy. Well, I can tell you, you've got one right with Octopussy. So one point there, and the other film, it wasn't Live and Let Die, it was Golden Eye. Ah. Oh. So uh, still not bad though. So that's. Basically half a point um, from round one. So well done. That's a pretty solid start there. Um, and I've no doubt based on guesses. <laughs> yes, they definitely <laughs> yes. were. I had no idea. Well, there you go. Yeah, there was a big... Um, Goldeneye had a big uh, train crash scene there. Um, oh. And and uh, Roger Moore filmed an octopusy scene um, near some old gasworks, I believe, um, in, um, in Peterborough back in the 1970s. Anyway, question number two. Okay. okay. What is written, Lauren, on the Peterborough coat of arms? Okay, so you've got the coat of arms, and there's the coat of arms. There's a logo uh, in English on the bottom. Is it? It's one of these four. Okay. Okay. Is it A, upon this rock? Is it B, this rock upon? Is it C, never yield, O Peterborough? Or is it D, Peterborough, never yield? <laughs> well i think i'm going to rule out the rock ones because peterborough's in the fens so it's flat as a pancake so why would okay. it be on a rock but this could be very bad shift skills but i'm going to go for peterborough never yield i'm afraid i made that one up it is a upon this rock oh, oh sorry 
Um, I did think that when I read it and I looked it up, I thought that's a strange one because it's very flat. But I guess I suppose it could be on a very flat rock. But anyway, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) I would imagine the person who created the coat of arms is probably not with us to ask that question. But anyway, uh, no worries. Still time to turn turn things around, Lauren. Okay. And up next is question number three. Okay. Okay. What was Peterborough's original name? And this is pre-10th century, so it was a long time ago, but it had the first ever name for Peterborough. Was it one of the following? Okay. Was it Abbotsteed? Was it Meadshamteed? Was it Kenilthborough? Or was it Petersteed? I'm going to go for, was it Meadshamteed? That's correct. Yes. Correct, Mundo. <laughs> Gosh, well done. I, I did. I actually made. I did make the. Um, I made the other well, other ones up. Peter's Teed because of Peterborough. Kenwolf yeah. and Abbott's Teed. I basically uh, apparently somebody called Abbott's Kenwolf was one of the people that created um, the first the first place. Anyway, so I, yeah. Well, to cut long story short, you've got a right answer. That's one and a half. So well done. Yes. You're well back on track now. And. Um, you're starting to re-catch up with the, with the main pack. So you're absolutely flying. Keep the tempo high because this is the final question. Question okay. number four. Okay. Peterborough Football Club are also known as what? Okay. A, the Neens. B, the Peters. C, the Posh. Or D, the Sea Levelers. I mean, if I didn't know this one, I'd be a really bad Peterborough, and it is the posh. It is indeed the posh. Oh, that's it. So you've basically got two and a half. So it's well over 50%, which in most universities would get you a pass. So well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. So well done on the Peterborough quiz. Um, that took me quite, you would believe it or not, that did take me quite a long time this afternoon to craft. <laughs> um, but uh, but nice one. Um well, good job there. Uh, we're going to move on now a little bit to. I'm really interested um, in your in your bike setup, setup because I know when you're riding, you do have a prosthetic arm. And I was just looking at some some stuff on the web about your kind of riding setup. Now, just explain to us how it works because you won't be you can't break obviously with your with your right hand. So I know that on on the left side you've got two cables, haven't you? So it so you slow your bike just using one cable, so using two cables, but one lever. So explain yes. how that kind of feels and how that was designed, because that's that's kind of quite clever, isn't it? Yeah. So it's obviously it's a, a technical thing that has to happen because I cannot pull the brake on the right side. So it's called a problem solver, and basically mm. uh, both brake cables go into this problem solver, and then they come out as one. And yeah. the, the right-hand lever pulls both. And I've got it set up so that the brake pulls fractionally before the front. And it's it's not the smoothest. It's not the quickest braking system in the world. Like, I wouldn't go up flying to a corner as, say, somebody else who has normal brakes would. You know, I'm, I have to think about things probably 20 meters out to slow the bike because you know, it's not as effective. Yeah. And obviously, that means that this, does, this setup doesn't work on disc brakes, which has been something that actually as the bikes have evolved, most road bikes now and TT bikes are switching into disc brakes. And, you know, it means that I'm riding later models of the, the current bike that I am. But we found a solution to that, uh, a caliper that actually can push in double the amount of hydraulic fluid so that I can hopefully now brake with one lever and disc brakes on a bike, which I'm very excited for. So it's a, okay. it's a progression in, 
in the history of me riding with, I guess, one brake. But um, yeah, so that's kind of the setup that I have. And then I also have DI2 Jura Ace and all of the buttons are on the left-hand side so that I can obviously shift and do everything with the left side. The right ones do still work, but obviously I don't use them. So you have like little satellite shifters. It's quite often that you see um, in road racing, some of the sprinters have like satellite shifters located at different points on the bar. So you've got those set up on the left-hand side. So you've got full functionality. Yes. So everything is controlled on the left-hand side. If, let's say, you did get onto either of my bikes, you could ride them and operate them, all the gears, that's to say the Jura Ace, um, on both sides, but you just wouldn't be able to brake on the right side. So you might have a bit of a shock. (laughs) Right. And again, this is a question that intrigues me because when you're you're riding a bike, as, as you well know, there's the kind of balancing issues of not so much balance as in keeping up on a bicycle. It's just more like the, the kind of the way that you apply power through the bike. Normally when you're holding the handlebars, that kind of balances the body out. I mean, how long did it take you to adapt to using the prosthetic arm and generating enough, generating the right amount of power so you didn't hurt your back and things like that? That's a really, did you have to do any particular exercise or was it just a matter of doing lots and lots of riding and finding your kind of rhythm that way? So I think that I'd only say that I've recently got my cycling legs, actually. Um, it's yeah. taken that amount of time, and I think people don't appreciate how long it takes to get a set of quads that actually you can put out some watts to, to push your own body weight. But yeah. as far as going with having one hand, I can ride the bike without an arm. I do not yeah. need to have my prosthesis. I, I'd like to have my prosthesis there for the fact that you know if you're flying around at 40, 45 k's an hour around a corner... Um, you might hit a bump or something. I've got double the amount of control. If I need to suddenly change gear and come out of TT position, you know, I can do that. And the actual arm that I use to race is an NHS arm from when I was 14. The fingers wow, are broken right. and it's rubber. It's quite heavy. But the fact that it's rubber, there's a bit of friction when I'm on the TT pads. Uh, yeah. The fingers broken now fit perfectly around uh, the bars, <laughs> right, believe it or not. Right and it's quite easy to get on and off in transition um you know there's an issue of sweating it can become quite loose but the reason I haven't switched into I guess an arm that is carbon fiber or is different is because if I was to have a crash and be able to get on my bike again and let's say I'd hurt my left hand wrist um I actually could get around the course using that prosthesis and until I can find a prosthesis that gives me that amount of confidence I'm yeah. not going to switch because in my eyes, I'd rather carry a little bit more weight and actually yeah. have the confidence and the ability to, you know, have handling skills at speed. And, and obviously if it's terrain, that's a bit bumpy, be able to handle that, then have a little bit extra time. It won't make that much difference. That's very, very interesting indeed. Oh, sorry. I, I can hear a funny noise. Um, Random question alert. Oh, Lauren, sorry about this. Lauren. Um, just bear with this. It is time for a random question. Um, Lauren, I forgot to I forgot to tell you, um, or I might have done, I can't quite remember. Um, this quiz, it's awful. I've got no control over it. Um, the, the folks at Sigma, Nile included, came to my house a couple of weeks back and installed a giant computer uh, that I think they found at some disused kind of Russian nuclear power plant. And it's called the Random Question Generator. Uh, question generator. And I've torn off this big slip of paper, which I've just carried to my desk. And it says this... Um, so it's basically a question randomly generated by a computer. Lauren, if you got the chance, would you go to space? Yes, I would. And it was something that actually I wanted to do as a young girl. Um, wow. But yeah, they didn't let people with one arm in, so I couldn't do it. Seriously? 
yeah, there's a lot of things that you can't do. Um, so I wasn't allowed to join the military, any of those. I wasn't allowed to do uh, become a surgeon or a vet because obviously you probably do need two hands. I know that I could push down those bound barriers and stuff, but at the time yeah. I didn't. But yeah, so it actually, and I've had this conversation with my dad. Um, if you could go to space, would you? And yes is the answer. Yes, I would. I, I mean, I, I hope you don't think I, I mean, that was a, a completely randomly generated question. We didn't speak to your dad beforehand, um, <laughs> although that would have been quite quite interesting. But I didn't actually know that there, I know that there were some, uh, there's some restrictions in relation to you know, physical ability, but um, that's, I'm like, really? Has that changed since you've um, been a kid? Or, I mean, because that's, that's quite disappointing, especially these days, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, you are talking... 14 years ago so it's quite a long yeah. time ago um but at the time actually i'm i'm quite um what's the word you would use is it pragmatic when you just get on with yep. stuff and actually their yes. reasons yeah. were oh because of this okay yeah that makes sense fine and i just found something else that i'd like to do um i'm not so much in for that oh but i can do it yes he's right i can like as you mentioned earlier sas i, I like to prove things that i can do um but yeah, I just, there's so many things that I was interested to do that it was fine. Um, you know, there's other people that aren't suited for jobs. So yeah, I was fine. Yeah. Well, that, that is a pretty interesting one. I mean, and, and also just well, beyond that, I mean, everybody's athletic career, you know, it's a finite sort of career, but you've, you clearly are getting yourself qualified. You're on a business, uh, as well as your degree with psychology, you've done, I understand business studies as well. Do you have any, although you've, I wouldn't imagine you do right now, midway through an Olympic cycle, and I would imagine quite a few years of um, of gathering as many medals as you can. But what about the future in terms of a career after um, sport? Do you have any idea of what you'd like to do, or is that something that's still very, very fluid in your mind? No, I, I have quite a lot of different ideas, and I think that I'm very lucky in that I could take my career path down a lot of different routes. The one that I'm sort of working on at the moment, and you may or may have not seen it, um, is Sisu Minds is a, is a wellness and mental health company that I've set up on, on, I guess, Instagram and online with my friend Tamsin. And I would like to go into, this is in the realms of psychology. Uh, I would actually sure. like to go into sort of proactively helping people and the mindset that I have as an athlete and as a girl, as a girl with a disability, and share that, share proactive ways to change your mindset, whether that's in the corporate world, whether that's at universities or just helping people that's kind of the route that I'd like to go down. That's and, and just, I mean, I, I did actually see that there was some, you've done a couple of little videos on your Instagram. Can you just, for people listening who might be interested, can you just give us, is, do you have a website that people can go to and look at that and, and find out a little bit more about it? Yeah, of course. It's www.cizu.co.uk and Cizu is S-I-Z-U. Pretty simple. Um, yeah. I'd, I'd advise people to check. I mean, that sounds, it does sound, I mean, not just, exceptionally interested but very very worthy indeed and I mean you clearly have you know a keen interest into the the inner workings of of the mind at what point did you decide that you wanted to um study psychology because I find I, I I never went to university um but I find psychology f- fascinating and I did um I worked I suppose in psychology to a degree when I was a police officer and, um, you know, understand the way people tick. I, I found fascinating the more and more I kind of dealt with, with, with troubled people and, um, victims of crime and the why, the why people do things. So at what point did you become interested in the way that the human mind works? I actually 
didn't know that I wanted to study psychology. When you're 17 and 18 and you've done, even choosing your A-levels is difficult enough. Um, There's so much to do on what you should and shouldn't do and I guess peer pressure and what other people do. And it got to the point where I was in sixth form and I was looking at the the prospectus for going to university and I was going through going, what do I want to do? And I think most people thought, oh, you're an athlete, you'll do a sports degree, which is probably, you know, would have been great for me. I, I love sport, but I like to keep my sport separate from I guess other career paths just because for me sport is somewhere where I go to to relax to enjoy to let off some steam you know and I want it to stay like that if it becomes my career my job I might lose that sort of factor where it actually calms me down and it's something that I enjoy so I was just going through it and you know psychology kept coming up and I thought you know this looks really interesting all the things that you can learn and it wasn't just human psych it was animal psych it was um, child psychology there was so many things and as someone that didn't quite know what career path to go down, doing psychology is quite a broad topic. So yeah. you know, you, you you can do that and an employer will go, well, actually, yeah, it's kind of similar to why I did business as well, because I didn't know quite the direction I wanted to do. So by keeping it quite broad, it means that I could be really flexible. Yeah. And um, what's the what did you find? I know that the the the, the, the psychology courses, because my lad was going to do something to do with that. It's a very, very broad course. But what, what element um of the course did you enjoy the most oh I actually do think that I enjoyed the sports psych the most Uh, both my dissertations were based on sports and disabilities and the links between business and sports people so yeah I definitely enjoyed the sports but I think that's because I could relate to it more so than the other stuff yeah and again that that very neatly leads us in I think it's a kind of I guess I'm shoehorning it slightly but when you went on Strictly Come Dancing a couple of years ago, but we're back in 2018, yeah. I mean, a big opportunity. But I mean, I, I haven't watched it recently, but I used to watch it avidly. And it's just because of my kind of lifestyle has changed. But I used to love that program. But I always used to think it was full of admiration for people coming out or coming into it and having never done it before. Because that must have been, you know, a real, real, well, there's the physical challenge first off, but then the psychological challenge of actually you know, of doing that and performing in front of people. I don't know. I mean, what was it? It must have been a, a pretty amazing experience. Matt, give me one minute. I've just got someone at the door. I'll be right back. Oh, I've that's got the beauty the of, of live. It's okay. No worries. That's the beauty of live podcasts. That's all. Um... Yeah, I've actually written three pages in my little moleskin. I'm quite proud of Abbott's Teed, Kenilthborough, and Peter's Teed. Um, anybody who's listened to this podcast, you want to get in touch and, and um, just give us marks on the um, on whether they they, they might actually be real towns. I have a feeling that there might even be an Abbott's Teed somewhere, maybe even a Kenilthborough, and maybe a Peter's Teed, but they don't exist. But perhaps they should. Um, who knows? I'm very proud as well of. Um, this rock upon never yield o peterborough peterborough never yield perhaps there's a hymn or a song never yield o peterborough maybe even peterborough football club could adopt it uh, as i am anthem. back guys so sorry was it was it um um any, oh I, I don't know what i don't know what i'm asking we just tend to get a lot of deliveries these days um at our house and if i'm Amazon really honest it was the par- it was the parking officer <laughs> It was the parking officer. Have you outstayed your welcome or something like that somewhere? Um, no, uh, it's it's run out. 
Oh, blimey. Are you, are you okay? Um, but it's because you, you... I, yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm moving, aren't I, house? So I've tried to put off paying it in hope that the parking officer wouldn't come around, but they've come around and it's fine. <laughs> well, it's given us a little bit of added tension to the podcast. We've never had somebody almost arrested by a parking officer in a podcast before. It's, it's, it's kind of high, high, high drama, uh, Lauren. But anyway. But um, back, on, back on to your question of Strictly. Yes. I did know what it yes. was. Um, do you know what? Strictly was exceptionally challenging for me. I went on to Strictly, I got given the chance to, you know, to do Strictly. And, you know, I sat with my coach and realized that actually it was going to affect my year. It was going to affect yeah. the training that I had. I was, the way that the first sort of, I guess the show what happened was I had to race in Australia, finish my race and go straight to the airport and, you know, fly home for Strictly. I had less time to do the first show. But strictly gave me confidence that I never thought I would have as a young girl, as as an athlete as well. Yeah. But I think the, the best thing that came from Strictly was a, a level of self-acceptance. And, you know, you could put me in front of 14 million people and ask me to do a triathlon. Yes, yeah. I, I could do it. I could deliver for you. You give me a skill that I'm not so good at, like a foxtrot or a cha-cha-cha, and ask yeah. me to do it. And 14 million people were watching. I have never been so nervous in my entire life, but I sort of use the skills that I had as an athlete and, you know, I would approach it the same way before, you know, before going out onto the live stage to do the 90 seconds dance, I'd be going through all the steps in my head. I'd be talking to AJ, what to remember, what not to remember. And I guess the greatest highlight for me was AJ saying to me, listen, you've come on here to show people that they can do and be whoever they want to be. And, you know, yeah. I knew I wasn't the best answer. I wasn't getting the best scores. But actually, we would sit down and read uh, messages or letters that had been sent to me. And the way that, you know, the nation was responding to, to me dancing, to me being open and relatable. I had elderly ladies that had, you know, she had an arm missing. And she told me that she'd never been out without her prosthesis on. And she went to Sainsbury's without her arm on. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. And oh, that's, that's wonderful. Yeah, a mum messaged me saying, listen, I've I've got two daughters. They're, they're young, they're twins, they're able-bodied, and they're watching you on TV. And they think you are a princess. And I've told them that actually, look what Lauren can do. So you two can be anything you want to be. And I think it's moments like those that just gave me more confidence, uh, more fire to continue going to, to just, yeah, anybody at home that's watching me and doubts that they can do something. Yes, you can do it. And, and without sounding obvious, I mean, that's putting yourself in a, you know, a serious way out of your comfort zone as well. So you kind of, I would, I would have imagined, and as well as giving you that kind of confidence, you would have learned so not just another skill, dancing, but you would have learned a hell of a lot about about yourself. And that's and that's an important kind of thing just to carry. It's easy to be flippant, I think, about something like Strictly Come Dancing. But you know, when you see, and I've spoken to a couple of people who've who've done it, come out the other side, as, as it were, and said it was one of the most amazing things they've done on many many levels. So yes, um, I, I think that that comfort zone thing, as you move through your life, I think it's really important and healthy to occasionally do something a little bit different that kind of is a little bit scary because what you can gain from a um, a, hu a human perspective and a kind of understanding about yourself is is quite profound isn't it definitely and at first when I when I said yes to do the show you know all those I guess demons 
crept into my head of what if this, what if that happens? And I guess actually the biggest thing, and probably every contestant will tell you is, what if I fall over on a live show? Um, yeah. But you learn how, you know, you learn how to to adapt, to to be different in everything that you do. Um, but I think, yeah, for me, you know, I, I did something that actually taking away the athlete side of me, you know, being an athlete is a big part of my life. But actually, I learned so much about Lauren, the young woman. Um, and just, you know, I got skills and friends. And yeah, it, it's incredible. And I, I think straight after if you said to me, Lauren, do you want to do it again? I would have said no, actually, purely because I think my what? hair and my eyelashes needed a break. And people don't realize that <laughs> you train 8am till 8pm, Monday to Friday, then you're in the studio from 7am till sort of 11, 12 o'clock at night on a Saturday, you get one day off a week. And I was there for 15 weeks. So to begin with, it was like, wow, so I, it's, inte- it's, it's ri- that is properly intense, isn't it? Yes, yes, it was really tough. I mean, but looking back now, if you said, Lauren, you're going to go on it again I'd be like yes I'm so excited but I, I I gave absolutely everything I had so I definitely needed the break afterwards and and did you I mean just one last question I mean you, you got through to semi-final so it didn't do too badly at all and it was <laughs> as you mentioned AJ AJ Pritchard was with the guy that you, you you were dancing with I mean um what did you I mean was there were there moments there because you do I, I, I remember watching you know I, I didn't actually see you dance I remember watching other episodes and, and yeah. editions of it when people were like nearly at breaking point and they I just can't do this I just cannot do it um, did you have any really difficult low moments that you managed to push through or or did you manage to keep on a relatively even keel all the way through I think actually the first few weeks were potentially the hardest for me and that's where I have to give AJ a lot of credit he was always there thinking outside the box and I think lots of people don't also realize quite what AJ had to deal with I mean I for some of it was off balance when I did the Charleston I'd learned that actually um not having one arm put me off balance between the two sides of my bodies which I've never had before because obviously within swim bike run you're on a like a one neutral I guess movement pattern you know backwards and forwards not side to side and when I got asked to be sexy and like saucy that was just the lowest point for me like trying to stare at the camera and be like all sexy I really struggled with like I can I can be the angry athlete I can be the scary huntress that I was on Halloween week um but yeah that that was that was tricky but you know AJ coached me through it and Luba another girl was there as well and yes it took time and day one of every new routine was a bit you know, I have to go home thinking I'm never going to get this dance. But then things come together. You keep working at it. It's like everything else in life. We just keep working at it and it comes together. It must have been obviously clearly some memories that you, you cherish very, very closely indeed. I mean, I mean, just moving back to um, just before we kind of slowly kind of start to wrap things up, just moving back to, to cycling for a while. I mean, where, and you are, relative, I guess, relatively new to kind of cycling. I mean, do you ever allow yourself... Because doing a triathlon, I mean, you're a full-time triathlete. You are you're training a lot. Do you ever allow yourself just to ride your bike for fun, just to go to a cafe? And I know you're a big coffee fan and you're a big baker. So do you allow yourself to um, to just go on, you know, one of the reasons I love cycling so much is, 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 the, is the, the people I've met over the years, the kind of camaraderie, um, the fact that I'm very well-traveled as well, been to some beautiful places. But just riding my bike, and going to stop him for a coffee and just relaxing and not hurting myself physically is one of the things I enjoy the most and always have. So those moments of kind of of rest in between the maelstrom of training and the structure and the brutality really of getting the best out of yourself. Sometimes these 
I kind of I just love those calmer moments where just having a coffee, riding my bike in the sunshine. Do you do you do that, or is it all about kind of structure? Matt, shall I let you into a little secret? Tell, go on then. The elite athletes still stop for cake and coffee. Yes, we do. Good stuff. Well, I just wondered, yeah. I know a lot of road road sort of roadie, roadies do, but I wasn't so sure about sort of triathletes really. That's why I asked. Yeah. But I'm, I, do you know what? I'm I'm very very glad because it's it's flipping brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh no it's amazing and I, and I'm you know obviously I have lots of structured sessions and you know there's a lot of it in one day with three disciplines but normally when I'm out in Lanzarote with my coach um you know there'll be two sort of longer rides a week where actually in Lanzarote the headwinds pretty challenging at the best of times and you're going up and down volcanoes and yeah. sometimes it's actually for a refuel because it's impossible to keep going and when you're out riding for sort of three four hours um I think got really big this year I think it's because of lockdown and everyone's got into the mental health side of things but to know that you're going to stop off and have a really nice coffee and it doesn't have to be a cake it could be a sandwich it could be whatever kind of just perks you up a little bit makes you feel you know a little bit more energetic so um yes training is hard and we get the quality sessions in but you know life's worth living and for all the small moments that you're talking about um it's fantastic to sit and have you know an either an ice cold a drink or a coffee and you know feel really lucky that you know you've got a beautiful bike and you're with some friends and you're riding I, th- I think those moments are also just as important as sort of the races and standing on the podium um I've got I've got some very special memories of you know riding around the world with with some of my friends I, th- I think I think that's a lovely way to wrap things up because you know we all I mean you, you do obviously do multiple multiple sports but the reason and, th- and this is a this is a this is a cycling podcast but it goes broader than that but I think um the one takeaway really, and, and it's lovely to hear you say it so eloquently as well and so simply is that we, you know, riding a bicycle is so liberating, so freeing, so joyful, isn't it? It, it really is. And, and what better way just to sit and contemplate um, than having a nice coffee with some mates and just kind of, I don't know, soaking Definitely. it up and kind of, and just feeding off those, those endorphins as well that you get, which, because it's, it's addictive, isn't it? <laughs> Let's make no bones about it. Well, yeah, it's addictive. And also, you know, there's there's a lot of things in life that come to test you and being able to not be in a rush and sit down and actually talk to people. And sometimes, you know, I've stopped some some places and there's been so many people at this one place and you're like, oh, let me look at your bike and check things out. And it's a community. And I think that that's yeah. the most beautiful thing with cycling is that actually when you're out and someone passes you a pretty, unless they're in having a bad day, they'll say hello to you you know if someone passes you they'll they'll be polite and kind and you can ask any cyclist for a tip and they'll give you it and you know I we recently got my mum an e-bike and so now me and my dad are on my road bike our road bikes and my mum's keeping up with us because she's got an e-bike you know it's it's for everybody and yeah I think I'm starting to realize this year that I love my racing and training you know it it takes precedence against everything else but actually sometimes I do take a step back and I'll say to my coach like I've I've done an extra session here just because I went out for a ride with my mum and you know it's just small things like that that just sharing moments definitely well Lauren thank you for firstly for sharing your your time it's been a wonderful podcast I'd loved at some point maybe we could uh, get out for a ride go to a cafe and have a nice bit of cake together at some point that that'd be lovely to uh, to do in the future but um um Thanks again. It's been a lovely chat. It's been really, really interesting. Thank you for being so open and, and so honest. And and best of luck and fingers crossed that you um, that we, we do get an Olympic Games. I know that I know the world is still a quite a difficult place, but uh, fingers crossed that you get to the Olympics and that you bring home that gold medal.
Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Lauren. Take care. Bye. Wow, some really sound advice from Lauren there. What a legend. What made you stand out as a kid? For me, I was just small until the age of 16, and I still don't really need to shave. What about you? Want to get in touch using the easy-to-remember hashtag Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged Podcast What May Be Different Is Now My Superpower. Or, to simplify, hashtag S-S-P-M-S-U-P-W-M-M-D-I-N-S-P or sp Thanks to Perry at Gwyneth for the podcast theme tune and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe and rate the pod and why not recommend it to your cycling or triathlon buddies or to your local parking officer if they come to your door looking to find you. Finally, a massive thanks again to Lauren for being so generous with her time and her attitude. I really wish her all the best at the 2021 Tokyo Games and beyond. Cheers all, stay safe and goodbye. Goodbye.